coming up on Garden Talk. Your grow tent is like your house for your plants, right? You want something really solid. You want something reliable. You want something that's not going to fall apart in the middle of your grow. For me, the AC Infinity fans with the speed controller are kind of a no-brainer just because the speed controller is so huge as far as keeping the environment nice, getting your you know humidity in check. It will alert you if there's a problem. That has saved my butt a number of times from some from some problems. That you're buying something that's going to last you, you know, maybe a decade. That's a lot of electrical bills, you know. So spending a little bit more to have something so your bills a little lower every month will pay off in the long term. There's places to go cheap, and then there's places to invest. Is how I like to think of it. And lighting and environment are two places where it's worth spending a little extra money to get efficiency, quality, and get the kind of you know performance you need. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This is episode number eighty-nine. In this episode, I interview Soup the Gardener. He has been gardening for 12 years, and many of you know him from the Dude Grows community. He's a big contributor over there. His main focus is helping new growers get started with their first grow. So in this episode, I figured we'd talk about some of the tools and equipment that you can use for a successful grow. If you gain value from these episodes, please click the like button, and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. That way you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to support even more, visit patreon.com slash mrgrowit. There are various rewards set up for those that support, and you can pledge any amount that you'd like. 100% of the money pledged through Patreon goes right back into the podcast. It helps keep this podcast going, so thank you all so much for your support. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring free gardening information of all plants to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. AC Infinity is sponsoring this episode. The Grow 10 kits are incredible. You get their Ion Board LED Grow Light, their Grow Tent, which is currently the thickest on the market, their ventilation system, clip-on fan, and the Controller 69 to control it all. You also get their fabric pots, a trellis net, plant ties, and trimmers. Definitely a good price for all that you get in the kit. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these Grow 10 kits and you can use discount code MrGrowIt if you're buying off their website, acinfinity.com. That discount code actually works for all AC Infinity items or discount code MrGrowIt15 if you're buying off Amazon. And we're back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Soup the Gardener. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad you decided to come on. We actually had a request from, I think it was Discord, right? Somebody like connected us on Discord. They're like, you need to bring him on. I'm like, I'd love to have him on because I heard so much about you from, you know, the Dude Grow Show in particular. And I know you have a ton of knowledge and I'm just super excited to uh, extract some of that knowledge from you today. Yeah. Happy to hang with you, man. Love that Discord community. Love my Discord crew over there. The DGC, man, all those people love hanging out with them. So was super excited when they I saw they recommended me to you. I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So today we're going to get into talking about gardening tools and equipment for a successful grow. So uh, you can either just get the bare bone basics and budget as much as possible in order to not spend money, you know, save money, or you can ball out and spend money to get equipment to optimize and or automate things in your garden, right? I'm sure we'll touch on a bit of both in this episode. But first, before we get deep into the topic, what I like to do with all the guests is an introduction. 
can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? Yeah, yeah. I uh, first got into gardening a little over 10 years ago. I started having digestive problems and uh, I found medicinal plants really helped me out, you know, and learning to grow my own and also just the therapy of growing, you know, learning to spend time in the garden, connecting with plants, connecting with nature, you know, really made a big impact on me. And I just fell in love with it. And now I love sharing that with other people. You know, a big focus of my life has been trying to share that excitement about growing plants with as many people as I can. So I uh, love helping people get started, love people helping people start new gardens. And um, yeah, just love gardening. <laughs> Happy to talk about it. Yeah, you mentioned that your main focus is on helping new gardeners get started with their first grow. And that's why I thought this topic would be perfect because I get a lot of new gardeners reaching out to me and asking about equipment. There are so many different pieces of equipment, particularly when growing indoors, that you need to get in order for the plants to grow at a good rate and, uh, and be successful with the grow. So kind of going through the different pieces of equipment, I don't think we're going to get touch on every single thing, but uh, I think we can get a good chunk of it done today and just kind of go through each piece of equipment or tool. And then, um, yeah, just some notes for beginners, some advice you have on things, and uh, it should, should go pretty good from there. So I think starting yeah. with grow tent or, or really grow room, when you're grow, growing indoors, for example, I have a spare bedroom. I think it's a nine by 12. And then in that spare bedroom, I have a couple grow tents because I want to have one tent that's for vegetation stage, you know, a different light cycle than the flowering stage. So I personally have a two by four tent and also a four by four tent. So when a new grower kind of reaches out to you and they're like, what should I get for a grow tent? What do you typically answer to that? Yeah. Well, I usually ask people two questions. And one is, First off, what are your goals, right? Like, are you trying to grow a ton or are you just trying to set up a little hobby grow for yourself? Maybe you and a significant other or something, or are you looking to, you know, really max out your space as best as you can? And then the other question I like to ask people too is, you know, like what's your budget and what kind of space are you working with? Like what, tell, tell me more about where you're trying to put this grow, you know, because if you have a big space, maybe putting some little tents in there makes sense, or maybe it makes sense to go crazy and fill the whole room with plants. You know, it just depends on what are your goals and what kind of budget you've got. And, uh, but I love both approaches. I grow in both a big room in one building that I have. I have a separate building out back with its own little environment set up with its own little, you know, air conditioning, and all that sort of stuff. And then I also use tents. You know, I use tents here in my office. I actually have two tents right in here. Um, but I love small tents. I love big tents. I love big rooms. It all just depends on, you know, what's your budget? What are your goals? And what kind of space do you have? Um, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different. But tents are great because, like you said, you can have a veg tent and a flower tent. Setting up different environments like that gives you so much opportunity to try things try you know if you want to try doing some plant breeding or you want to try keeping some other plants or doing some cloning or you know having separate environments really gives you that option to do a lot of cool stuff so I always tell people two tents if you can or two separate rooms you know really opens up a lot of possibilities so say they want to go with two different tents and they've got their sizes picked out is there a particular brand that you recommend or brands that you say to avoid because maybe they're poor quality yeah, I always tell people t with tents, going for something well-made is really important. Your grow tent is like your house for your plants, right? You want something really solid. You want something reliable. You want something that's not going to fall apart in the middle of your grow. So I've always used Gorilla Grow Tents in my garden. I love Gorilla Grow Tent. They make really good quality stuff. And on top of that, they've also had many years to perfect their design. 
Uh, it seems like they're always kind of adding little features or making little tweaks to the tent to make it more user-friendly. I really like they've got double doors that kind of open up in front of them. It gives you access kind of all the way around your plants. Um, however, I'll also say too, I really like AC Infinity makes some really good tents as well. So if you're on more of a budget, AC Infinity tents are really good. They don't have the double doors. They only have a single door, but they're still really well made, still have a lot of great features and they're not going to fall apart on you. You know, that's so much of the big thing with grow tents is there's some really kind of lower quality ones out there that aren't going to last you, you know, much more than a grow or two at the most. So I always tell people invest in a good tent. It's something to you know spend a little more on getting something quality and something well made, and you got two great options there with AC Infinity and Gorilla Grow Tent. They both make really sturdy tents that are gonna last you many grows. So I've got some Gorilla Grow Tent shorty tents I've been using for like five plus years, and they still look brand new. So big fan of quality tents, whatever you go with. I've used both Gorilla and AC Infinity. I use the AC Infinity tents now. That's what my 4x4 and my 2x4 is, is the AC Infinity ones. Nice. One thing to keep in mind, grow tents. I feel like some people aren't aware that some of these tents don't have that back window or side window, I should say. And some people need that. So uh, make sure that you you know if you want that feature to where you're able to access the other side of your plants, for example. Sometimes if you're in like a 4x4, for example, reaching over your plants or going under your plants. It's easier to like walk to the side of your plant, side of your grow tent, zip down the side and then access the plants that way. So just keep that in mind that some grow tents don't have that ability. But yeah, Gorilla Grow Tent ran them for many, many years. Awesome quality. AC Infinity apparently is a thicker canvas density now. It's a thicker grow tent from Gorilla. I've been running that. It's been fantastic. I had a Mars Hydro one, which is pretty decent. Their 2x4 is actually, I think, a foot taller than some of the others on the market, which I found to be beneficial because um, some of these 2x4 tents, I think, are only four feet tall. Me getting it a five-foot tall one actually made it easier because I could raise up the, the light more and grow taller, a little bit taller of plants. So something yeah, to keep in mind. Point. And then uh, the Vivo Sun ones, I've had those in the past way back in the day. I mean, we're talking... 2015-ish, I ran their tents and there was some pinhole light leaks in there. So you definitely got to be careful and keep an eye on those things. But I did get their grow tents again recently, um, a couple years back, and their quality was fine. So um, some of these companies, they may have poor poor quality to begin with, but they've gotten better over the years. So I figured I'd throw those couple things out there. Definitely. Yeah. And I love one of my favorite things about the Gorilla tents is actually uh, a lot of them have the ability to extend the height. So if you get a tent and you have a really short space, you can actually get the Gorilla Grow Tent Shorty, which is what I'm using in my office here. I have a shelf in my closet and I can't fit a normal size tent under the shelf, but I can fit the Shorty in there. And then if I want to use, uh, if I want to use it in a different space where I don't have to worry about that limitation of having the shelf there, I can put the extension kits in it and make it, you know, back up to seven feet tall or whatever. So keep that in mind when you're choosing your tent too. That's a great tip is, you know, look at what space you have and look at the dimensions dimensions of all the different tents and find the one that's going to fit your space the best because you're right some of them have different heights and that can really affect your options when you're growing yeah it's a good call and even with the four by fours i mean there's some brands that are only have like a six foot tall and then other ones are close to seven feet tall that that can make a difference there too so yeah height is is major really important how about ventilation system let's move on to that and uh, what we're talking about there for those that are new would be the inline fan or exhaust fan ducting, 
carbon filter. That all makes up your, your ventilation system. It's for air exchange. What do you typically run for a ventilation system in these different sizes? I mean, you can get four inch kits, six inch kits, for example. What size grow tents would those go in and, and what brands are you typically recommending? Uh, I really like the AC Infinity ventilation equipment. Uh, I love their automated speed controller, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Those are excellent. Having the ability to, you know, set a minimum and a maximum temperature right there on the little control panel and letting the controller kind of control the fan speed to get the environment where you want is so helpful. Uh, you know, really has made growing in my office here way easier. Uh, I also really like with that controller, you can set a maximum speed on your fan. So if you have your fan in your house or in a bedroom or somewhere where there's people, sometimes you might not want that noise all the time. You might not want the sound of a fan going full blast all the time. So I actually limit my fans in my office to 60%. So they you know never go higher than 60%. And that keeps them running really quiet, which means I'm able to do things like podcasts here in my office without you know worrying about raging fan noises in the background. Um, but as far as sizes go, I tell people usually if you're looking at like a three by three and smaller, you're probably fine with a four inch fan, four inch ducting, four inch carbon filter, all that. Uh, if you're going for, you know, maybe a four by four to a five by five, you can probably get away with like a six inch fan. And when you start going for something big, like a four by eight or a five by nine or something real big, that's when you want to be looking at eight inches. Or, you know, if you're going really big, that's when you start looking at the 10 inch fans or the really big beast fans. But uh, for most small office grows or small tents, I mean, I love a good four by four uh, or a good, you know, two by four tent. Um, you know, usually a four inch or a six inch is good enough for that. I know for three by three tents, there are people who put the six inches in there six inch ventilation mm -hmm. systems, which is fine. You can get away with it. Same thing with the four by eights. I've ran the six inch ventilations in there and it's been fine. But yeah, an eight inch might give you that little extra speed that you might need if you're really getting a lot of heat generated from those lights in there. With those AC Infinity fans, I always recommend people to go a little bigger because you can turn them down, right? You can limit the speed or because they've got the automated speed controller in them, they'll turn themselves down if needed. So that way, you know, you have a little extra fan capacity if you need it. You know, if it's a really hot day and you need a little extra fan power to keep the tent cool, you've got it. Um, you know, and, and you can always tune it down or run it a little bit at a lower speed if you want it quieter or, you know, you don't need as much. And also if you're running a carbon filter on there, you might want to go with a little bit because that restricts the airflow a little bit. So what I tell people is, you know, if you're going to run a, a carbon filter on your ventilation system, you might want to opt for a little bit higher of a, a, a size, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. But if you're on a budget and you want to just keep things bare bones, is there a particular brand that you kind of recommend besides, I mean, AC Infinity, you're looking at, you know, over a hundred bucks for an inline fan by itself. Um, I know there are inline fans out there that can be cheaper, right? You can find something that's mm -hmm. like 60, 70 bucks with just a variable speed controller. Are there any brands that you can think of that you would maybe recommend for somebody who's trying to keep it under a budget? Um, I mean, I would actually maybe look at some of AC Infinity's cheaper fans. They do have some smaller fans that are a little bit less expensive. They do have like, I think a, a, a less powerful line of fans. I do really recommend people look into getting a fan with that speed controller though. I do think it's worth the extra investment, you know, spend an extra 30 bucks to get that controller in my opinion, because it really does make a big difference as far as controlling the environment, controlling your humidity, 
you know, you can go cheap on your fan, but when you think about it, your environment really plays a huge role in the success of your grow. Um, so I would urge people not to go super cheap on their fan, but yeah, you can get away with a cheaper fan if you need to. Uh, it's just all about getting it dialed in and focus on getting your environmental parameters where you want them, right? Like, does the fan achieve the goals you want? <laughs> you know, and for me, the AC Infinity fans with the speed controller are kind of a no-brainer just because the speed controller is so huge as far as keeping the environment nice, getting your, you know, humidity in check. And um, it's just worth spending a little more for one of those, in my opinion. You can go with a budget f fan, though, for sure. Um, you know, you just got to make sure it's going to do the job. Yeah, I completely agree. What about lighting? If somebody were to reach out to you and say, hey, what's the best grow light? What's your answer for that? I love oh, that question. Such a tricky question. Yeah, <laughs> such a tricky question. Um, I've used a lot of lights over the years. The two companies I'm working with right now are the two companies that I've, I've been having good experiences with lately are HLG and AC Infinity again. Um, HLG, Horticulture Lighting Group, makes really good quality lights. They can be a little bit on the pricier side compared to some of the stuff out there. Uh, but I do think it's worth it for the quality and the customer service you get from them. Uh, they can also answer any questions from you as far as like finding the right light for your, your space or how to best array your lights or things like that. Um, I also really am a big fan of efficiency. Uh, I really hate wasting electricity in my gardens. So getting lights with a high efficiency rating, uh, which HLG always has some of the best efficiency on the market. Um, I think that it pays off in the long run. You know, your electric bill being a little lower every month, you know, makes up for the light costing a little more up front. Uh, I've also had great experiences, though, with the AC Infinity lights. Uh, I've got one of their lights in my 2 by 2 tent tent here in the office with me and it does a great job i also really like it's got a built-in dimmer right on the top of the light that's really easy to just dim it up and down super quick just tap that button uh, if you don't need as much light or if you are worried about heat you can also dim it down uh, i also really like i believe their lights are ip65 rated or ip64 rated i can't remember which one but they are water resistant so you don't have to worry about accidentally spraying them if you're doing like a foliar spray in your tent or anything like that. You can just rinse them off. So um, to me, that's a really good feature to have. So I've had great experiences with both companies. I've tried a lot of other lights and they're good too. So I tell people, you know, lighting and environment is a great place to invest in your garden. You know, there's places to go cheap and then there's places to invest is how I like to think of it. And lighting and environment are two places where it's worth spending a little extra money to get efficiency, quality, and get the kind of, you know, performance you need. Gotcha. Yeah, I get asked about lighting every every day. There's there's somebody mm -hmm. in my DMs asking about lighting, and uh, lighting is something that I've dug deeper into over the years. Those fo folks have been following me for many years. I used to do part testing on lights. I spent nice. uh, a year doing that, and so I've had my hands on over 50 grow lights where I'm testing them, learning about them, so on and so forth. I've actually gotten to a point where I've gotten the question so so often that every year now I do the research on the lights and to put together a list of the best LED grow lights of that year. Nice. And uh, I actually list them on my website. I have five different articles for the different size grow spaces, common grow spaces, two by awesome. two, two by four, three by three, four by four, and five by five. And so I, I just refer people over to those lists. It's basically like 10 lights per uh, size grow space. And uh, one thing I do want to mention, I know I'm going to get some uh, criticism for this, is I feel like we're at the point where you can get the job done and get optimal growth for a decent price. Like there's so many, <laughs> what, am I, what am I trying to get? I'm trying to get at, there's a lot of overpriced lights on the market. And mm -hmm. so I feel like 
for the size growth space you're working in, set yourself for a budget for that size. For example, I don't think you should spend any more than $200 on a two by two growth space. For a two by four, no more than $420 should you spend. For a three by three growth space, no more than $500. For a four by four growth space, no more than $800. And then for a five by five growth space, no more than $1,000. From all the research I've ever done, I find tons of grow lights that get the job done. You get the good amount of, of par uh, being admitted from those grow lights for prices under those those dollar amounts there. So that's my recommendation. There are tons of good lights out there that fall above that. And I'm not taking anything away from those companies whatsoever. You know, I want to make that clear. There are a lot of good grow lights out there that are, are more expensive than that. But you can definitely get away with spending less than those numbers for those sizes grow spaces if you search. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think you, you're spot on with your numbers there. I think you're like right in the ballpark about how much about people should spend. Um, the only thing I'll add to that is in some cases, it might be worth looking at the efficiency and seeing like, oh, if this one light's going to be a little bit more efficient than the other one, meaning it's going to use, you know, less watts to give you the same amount of power, maybe spend a little bit more on it because the longer you use it, the more that'll make sense over time, right? Because if your electric bill's a little cheaper every month, that'll help pay for that difference between, you know, a cheaper light and a more expensive light. So um, I always try to look at efficiency. The other thing I really like to look at when I'm looking at lights is how well is it going to cover your space, right? Like you mentioned picking the right light for whatever size of tent or whatever size of setup you're going and make sure you get a light that's going to, you know, give you a full spread over that full area make sure you can use all your expensive grow tent real estate. Right. So, um, yeah, but I think you're spot on with your numbers there. And, and I'll say too, like I tend to like more higher end lights, but you can grow with, you know, much lower end, much cheaper light and still have a great time, still have great success. Um, you know, some people get super hardcore and nerdy about their lights and want the most efficient, most powerful, everything, you know, and I'm not that guy, you know, I'm not that guy. I like to have really nice lights. I like quality stuff. I love that the AC Infinity lights are water resistant. I think that's a really good feature to have in the grow. Um, but yeah, you can have success with all kinds of lights being high budget lights, low budget lights. Just make sure you've got the power and the coverage you need. And, you know, after that, I say, look at efficiency, you know, try to make sure you're getting a decent efficiency for your money, because that's going to impact the running cost of your grow, right? You always have your startup cost of buying your light, but then you also have the cost of what's this going to cost me every month that I keep this light on, <laughs> you know? So keep that in mind too, when you're shopping is uh, advice I always like to share with people. So efficiency translate as micromoles per joule, right? That's that's the number a lot of people look at. What's a good number that people should go after these days? Like yeah. the minimum number, I should say. I know three, four years ago, it was like 2.0 micromoles per joule or higher is a good efficiency. Not anymore, right? Now it's what? More like 2.5-ish or higher? Or what do you think? It seems like it's always going up, right? But yeah, I would say you definitely want over two. Um, I'd say that's like a good place to start. And then from there, just start comparing prices of like, okay, if I spend this much more on a light, how much more efficiency is that going to buy me? You know, is that going to get me to 2.5 or whatever? Is that going to, you know, and if it's not, you can, you can actually do the math if you really want to and figure out, you know, how much is this light going to cost me each month? You can do that for each light if you want and really break it down. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, anything above two is going to get you 
in the ballpark of where you want to be. If you can get higher than that, great. You know, if you can get way higher than that, that's great too. It just depends on how much you're willing to spend because oftentimes efficiency comes with that higher price tag, right? And I think both HLG and AC Infinity are right in that ballpark and they do it at a pretty good price. So that's why I tend to stick with those brands or that's why I often recommend those brands to people. But there are lots of other brands too. And um, just take a peek at that efficiency and then maybe look at a couple other lights too and see like, am I, is this really efficient compared to what else is out there at the time? Because it does seem like efficiency numbers are changing all the time and it's a little hard to keep up with sometimes. But I think we are approaching slowly the theoretical maximum efficiency of LEDs. But um, you know, I'd say something above two for sure. So if somebody is looking at two different grill lights and they're, they're stuck between these two, one of them is at 2.5 micromoles per joule and the other one's at 2.7 micromoles per joule. And the one that's at 2.7 micromoles per joule is $200 more than the one that's 2.5 micromoles per joule. Is it worth it for them to spend that $200 more in order to get that little bit more efficient fixture? Um, that's a great question. And again, I'd have to do the math on that to really give you like the numbers. But the way I think of it too, is the longer you plan on using that light, the more the efficiency is going to matter. Right. And efficiency also, another thing I like to keep in mind is efficiency also matters a little more in a veg light. It sounds a little counterintuitive, but if you're looking at a light that you're going to run 18 hours a day, you know, you're running that more hours per day, getting better efficiency out of that might be a little bit more important. So I'd say it's up to you. You know, you have to really think about your own budget as well. You know, if you've had, do you have that extra 200 bucks to spend? Like maybe, maybe in that case you make the upgrade, you know, go for the more efficient light. If you don't, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with going with the slightly less efficient light. Just remember that each month when that electric bill comes, you're going to be paying a tiny bit more because you went with that less efficient light. So you know, do what you can. And, and I always try to buy lights that are going to last me like five years or more. You know, that's always my goal is I want, I, I don't like buying tons of equipment and replacing stuff all the time. So I'd rather pay a little bit more for a higher end light that I know I'm going to be able to keep a little bit longer, but that's kind of just my preference. You know, it's up to you and how you run your garden. And, but I think either way, either of those choices would be fine. <laughs> just depends on what's best for you. And, and maybe also how much your electricity costs too. I mean, some areas have really cheap electricity. Some areas have really expensive electricity. So I live in Northern California. We've got pretty pricey electricity. So I tend to go for efficiency whenever I can, because that means I can run more lights or run, you know, lights more often or, um, you know, use my power for other things. So yeah, it just depends on your setup, I guess. That makes sense. Let's move on to medium. So if a new grower were to reach out and say, should I do soil or should I do cocoa? What's your answer to that? That's a great question. And I tend to say you can really do either, but the most important thing is to make sure you're picking a system that works together. You know, I always think of nutrition and plant media as being, you know, equal halves to the same thing, right? You got to think about your medium, but you also got to think about what kind of nutrients you're going to be using. So I like to use living soil in my grow. That's where I'm putting, you know, all the nutrients in the soil. I'm working on building the soil as a battery to kind of power the plant throughout the growth. So that's the style I really like doing. Uh, I like that it's organic. I like that I only have to water my soil. I don't have to worry about mixing up nutrients and stuff like that. Um, but then again, some people like mixing up nutrients. Some people like the control that 
bottled nutrients give them and like the flexibility that bottled nutrients give them. And if that sounds more like your style, maybe cocoa is the way to go. I mean, I've done some great grows with cocoa. I've done some great grows with bag soil and liquid nutrients, and I've done some great grows with living soil and dry amendments. You know, it just kind of depends on what style kind of speaks to you. Uh, I like to say that with living soil, you do a lot of the work up front, right? You spend a lot of time building your soil, prepping your soil, making sure the soil is nice and balanced, make sure you've got lots of life in there, uh, maybe getting some mulch and some cover crop. You know, you're doing a lot of prep work to get your soil ready. But then once the grow started, all I really have to do is water it. You know, uh, the soil's got all the food in it. I don't really have to think about nutrition a whole lot for the rest of the grow. I'm able to just kind of you know, use the irrigation system or hand water and it makes things really simple that way. Um, however, if I made a, make a mistake or if I screw something up, you know, I've maybe painted myself into a corner by using living soil. So, uh, I, I like both styles. I think for new growers, um, it really depends on what speaks to you. Cause I really think both systems can work well, both either a, a cocoa based system where you're feeding liquid nutrients all the time uh, works really well for people if you maybe have uh, space limitations. You don't have room for a huge pile of soil at your house. Um, you know, you don't want to be mixing up dirt in your house anywhere. Then maybe cocoa's for you. Or maybe if you live in an apartment or like a trailer or something, you know, in those cases, uh, liquid nutrients I think tend to work out better for people. But um, again, I really think it's up to you. Uh, it just is a preference thing, you know, and I've, like I said, I've done great grows with cocoa and bottled nutrients. I've done great grows with living soil. Um, I think it's just about picking what speaks to you as a grower. You know, I think different, different strokes for different folks, different, um, you know, people are going to be drawn to different styles of doing things. And I've always been drawn to the living soil way of doing things. Cause I love biology. I love, you know, microbes and nature doing its thing. So I like to pretend I'm a forest ranger in my grow, um, more than like a, a chemist, <laughs> you know, some people like being a chemist though. Some people like mixing all the different chemicals, like checking the pH, like checking all their numbers and all that. And like having that degree of control, I'm kind of more of a, let's build an ecosystem style of grower. You know, that's how I like to do things. So, um, I would say if you're a new grower, look at both approaches and see what speaks to you. You know, do you think you want the control of a bottle nutrient grow with cocoa where you're able to dial things in really specifically and you have the control, but that also means you're the one in charge, right? You're the one who's got to balance everything. You're the one who's got to make sure you're following a feed chart or following a feed plan. Um, whereas living soil, I feel like you kind of follow a recipe at the beginning you set it up and then it's kind of nature does a lot of the work for you from then on out. So yeah, again, it just depends on your approach and what kind of speaks to you as a grower. But for me, living soil has been the way for a while. I'm a big fan of soil and just love getting my hands dirty. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it all depends on what, what speaks to you. I don't have much to add to that one, except for there is uh, one thing to keep in mind. I feel like with soil, it holds on to like the water and nutrients a little bit better than cocoa, for example. So one thing I noticed as I was going back and forth between soil and cocoa is you have to water a little bit more often, right? When you're in cocoa, because the more area of a medium doesn't hold water as well. A lot of people say you can't overwater cocoa, but I found that to be false. You can totally overwater cocoa. You know, I've seen plants where clearly there was a lack of oxygen in the root zone because I was overwatering them, but it is a little bit more difficult to overwater cocoa, I guess you could say. Of course, the plant size is going to matter. The size of the container is going to matter. But generally speaking, cocoa holds a little bit less. You're going to have to water it more often. So 
Something to yeah, keep in mind if that. you're looking to be a little more hands-off. I know we're going to get into auto-watering systems here in a little bit, but uh, yeah, just as far as hand-watering, could be a little bit more labor if you're getting in there a little bit more often to, to water cocoa. So I forgot to add that one in. How about pot size and type? You know, they could choose either plastic or fabric or air pots are out there, right? Size container is a common question. You know, what size should I start in? Should I transplant or not? What should be my final container? What do you typically recommend for pot size? Yeah. So again, I like to think of nutrition and medium and pots and all that stuff kind of as a system, right? So it depends on what system you're going with. If I'm going with a cocoa grow and I'm using liquid nutrients, smaller pots are possible. Uh, you can get away with much smaller pots of that style of grow. And I'll say also with cocoa, as you were saying, you kind of are feeding every time you water typically, and you're also um, watering a bit more often. So in those cases, I think air pruning pots, so something like a fabric pot that helps kind of prune the sides, it'll actually keep the plant from spiraling its roots, um, can be really helpful. Uh, for living soil though, I really think big pots are the way to go. You really, uh, the way I always think of it is with living soil, your soil is the battery, right? So if you want a battery that's going to last you from the start of your grow all the way to your end of the grow, you're going to need a pretty big battery to hold all that nutrition in it. Um, so for living soil, I typically tell people you want your final pot, the pot you go into flower with, to be at least 10 gallons, probably more like 15 gallons if you can. I love a good 15-gallon pot. Uh, I also love beds and much bigger pots too, but uh, for cocoa, I think you've got a lot more wiggle room. You can go a lot smaller. Cocoa, I definitely like the air pruning pots, like a fabric pot or one of those aero pots um, can be beneficial. Uh, because they dry out the media a little bit faster, which means you get to water a little bit sooner, which means you get to feed a little bit more again. Uh, whereas living soil, you really want the soil, soil to stay moist pretty much all the time. You want that soil to keep alive. You've got microbes in that soil that are helping break down all the nutrients and make them plant available. And if you let that soil dry out too much, the microbes kind of go dormant and that makes nutrition much less available and the whole kind of biological system kind of starts to shut down when things get too dry. So keeping soil a little bit moister uh, helps a lot and having bigger pots helps you do that. You know, if you have a small pot, uh, it's going to dry out a lot faster, especially if you've got a little tiny pot with a big old plant in it. So, um, but I always in both growth styles tend to push people into going with larger pots. If you can, I do think the more roots, more fruits, so to speak. And uh, also just, I think plants are healthier when they've got a good size root system supporting them. You know, if you grow a little tiny pot this big, but you grow a big giant plant in it, you're really asking a lot of those roots. You're really pushing them hard and they're going to have to work really hard to make sure that plant's getting enough water and nutrition and all that other stuff. Whereas when you've got a good sized pot, it's a little bit, you got a little more wiggle room. You got a little bit more of a buffer if, in case you make a mistake with your feeding or in case you make a mistake with your watering. Things are, aren't going to you know go bad on you like that. So um, I always try to push people towards larger pots. And for me in living soil, I really like at least 10 gallons, maybe even 15 if you can, uh, or bigger. You know, I've grown some great plants in 25 gallons too, but I understand not everybody has the space for gigantic pots. But if you can, I really like them. I know there's quite a few people who will do living soil, but they'll do the fabric pots. And, uh, you know, the plant will grow, be fine. But kind of what you mentioned earlier, the medium needs to stay moist at all times. And when you have these fabric pots, they actually dry out from all different angles, which is a natural. Grassroots fabric pots, they make a fabric pot with a liner in the side. 
So, uh, you know, it's fabric up top, then it's a liner most of the way down. And on the very bottom, I want to say it's like two inches from the bottom, it's it's fabric again. Um, so that helps keep the moisture in on all the sides. So uh, I know a lot of people that are growing with organics, living soil are going towards those pots or plastic pots, you know, versus just the straight up fabric pots. So I figured I'd mention that one. Yeah, that's a really great thing to bring up. And I love those pots, by the way, those uh, grassroots fabric pots with the liner inside of them work outstanding. And I also I actually use in my bigger grow. I have their beds. They make beds with the same liner in them. And I have uh, two three by three beds in my bigger grow with the living soil liner on them. And it does such a good job of keeping the moisture in because like you were saying, you, you want the air pruning at the bottom, right? You want things to start drying out at the bottom. And you want there to be drainage at the bottom of your pot or the bottom of your bed, but you don't want those sides and you don't want the top drying out super fast with living soil because that starts to shut the soil down, starts making the microbes all go to sleep. So um, yeah, I love those. Those are a great recommendation. How about environment monitors? When you're growing indoors, temperature, humidity, a lot of people track a VPD now. Are there any monitors in the market that you generally recommend? Uh, I've been using the pulse monitors for many years. I really like their products. Um, it monitors temperature, humidity. Um, I think their newer monitor also does CO2 and has a built-in light meter, which is really cool. I haven't had a chance to play with that one yet, but the older ones that I have, I have a couple of them around my grow and being able to track and log the environment's really helpful. I also love, it's got a feature where it will alert you if there's a problem. You can set up your parameters and that has saved my butt a number of times from some, from some problems. You know, I had a, a, dehumidifier malfunction, you know, and I would never have known. I would have come back several days later and my plants would have been real unhappy, except I had this wonderful pulse monitor that sent me an email saying, Hey, something looks a little bit off in this room. You should come check it out. So I really like the pulse monitors. They're great. They are a little bit on the expensive side, but if you're a serious grower and if you're like going to be doing it for a while, I think it's worth the investment to pick one up. Um, I also like the AC Infinity controllers I was talking about earlier, the controllers built into their fans now. You can get one that's Bluetooth enabled or Wi-Fi enabled, and it has some monitoring too. Um, It actually logs your temperatures, logs your humidity, and you can log into the app and actually see all that. And having the ability to see how your temperatures and humidity change throughout the day or throughout the light cycle I think is really valuable. Um, you know, I used to dial my grow in during the day, but then I was like, Oh, I wonder what's going on at night. <laughs> you know, I have no idea. And, you know, having the pulse monitor and having the AC infinity tents in there actually lets me look at that. Let's me see, you know, when my lights are off at four in the morning, what's going on in my grow. Uh, cause you know, the plants, it's important to the plants all the time <laughs> with their, their environments. Like, you know, not just when you happen to be in there. So having a, a, a tool that logs and also a tool that alerts you, the, both can be really helpful. Um, again, I, I understand the pulse meters are a little bit more on the expensive side, but if you're serious about growing and, you know, if you're setting up an environment that you're trying to really keep dialed in, I think they're worth the investment. I think it's a good idea to, you know, track that stuff. And, and it, it's helped me be a better grower, to be honest. I mean, being able to track my settings and being able to notice things like, oh man, my humidity is way out of whack at nighttime. You know, like it, it helps me make better decisions in my grow. And um, yeah, so I'd say they're, they're definitely a tool I would recommend, especially if they're in your budget. Yeah, it's great being able to see the line graph, like you mentioned with the history, be able to see the temperature, humidity, mm-hmm. VPD all on a line graph. So you can see the history, what it looked like for the past hour. 
what it looked like for the past day, what it looked like for the past week. That functionality with AC Infinity controller is awesome. That's what I'm using right now. Also similar to that is the sensor push monitor I used for like past five years. And now with the AC Infinity one, I don't even know if I'm going to use the sensor push one anymore because AC Infinity now has it built into their controller, same style line graph and everything. So um, that was a really good one. I think the monitor for sensor push was like 50 bucks. Then for the Wi-Fi gateway was a hundred bucks. So 150 bucks for that. I think the pulse monitor that you mentioned, the pulse one is 200 bucks, I believe, unless they change the price. They have the pulse pro. This is the one with the par meter built in. That's 500 bucks, but you know, it's kind of getting up there, but it does actually CO2 as well, right? CO2 monitor, par meter. So when you look to see what that has, um, it could definitely be beneficial to spend the extra money if you're looking to ha- monitor your CO2. There's not many many uh, CO2 monitors on the market right now. I believe AC Infinity is working on one. I hope they're working on one. Um, you know, it seems like they're working they on everything these days and they're, yeah. uh, <laughs> and they're putting out some really high quality products i think it's only a matter of time before they're they're doing co2 equipment yeah we spoke about their, about their fan earlier and that's one of the other things i think adds value to it right like you're paying you know a pretty decent price for a fan and then the fact that you're getting a fan plus an environmental controller plus environmental monitor all for that you know one price it makes the ac infinity fan kind of a no-brainer in my mind as far as the value of it because you're getting you know three things in one you know for the the price of a fan no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good call out. But the environmental monitors, as long as you're getting some sort of notification, that's helpful, right? So when a sensor push, you can set the notifications to if it reaches a certain temperature, you get alerted on your smartphone or it goes below a certain temperature. Same thing with humidity. I know the pulse monitor does that. AC Infinity, I'm not sure if they, I haven't played around with it too much yet, if they give you some sort of phone alerts if the temperature goes too high. I know the fan will kick on and stuff like that, but not sure if alerts will actually come to your smartphone when it gets out of the ranges that you've set. But yeah, uh, definitely can be valuable to be alerted when things are out of control. So that way you can go in and investigate and make adjustments as necessary. Or you can just have your environmental controller do it, which is what we're going to talk about next, environmental controllers. So there's Niwa, there's Trollmaster, there's Inkbird. What are your experience with environmental controllers? Um, I don't have a ton, to be honest, outside of the AC Infinity controller. I've played a little bit with some of the smart plug based ones. Like the, I think the Inkbird's a little bit of a smart plug, but there's also like the uh, Casa smart plugs and some of those other smart plug things that can be used to control things and work as environmental controllers as well. And one of my big concerns about some of those controllers is when they're Wi-Fi based, I've seen ones that if your Wi-Fi goes down, they don't work properly anymore or they start doing strange things. I had a a smart plug that when my Wi-Fi went out, it would just turn everything on, (laughs) which wasn't really what I wanted, you know? So um, I will say just like keep that in mind that can be kind of a vulnerability with some of those Wi-Fi based systems is if your Wi-Fi goes down, how is it going to react? You know, what's it going to do? And you want to understand that before you base your whole grow on something like that. But yeah, I don't use a whole lot of like big system, you know, whole system environmental controllers, but I think using the built-in control options on things like your air air conditioner or your dehumidifier is usually kind of the way to go. Um, And as opposed to using some sort of smart device to control it for you, I think typically the built-in controllers built into most grow equipment tends to be a little bit more reliable. Um, 
I do think those smart plugs and the Niwa and some of those other things have uh, good potential, but you just have to make sure that you're not, um, you know, going to run into a problem if your internet goes down or, you know, your power goes off and then comes back on. What's it going to do? Is it going to remember the settings from before? Is it going to forget them? And you're going to have to go reprogram everything, you know? Um, but, and that's in my mind why I've, for, for just small grows, I find that AC Infinity fan with the built-in controller to be just hard to pass up because it's made growing in my office so much easier being able to have that environmental control where all I really do to control the environment in my smaller tents is keep my house at a regular temperature, you know, keep my house comfortable for me to be in. And then I let the AC Infinity fan controller work out the details, you know, I let it fine tune everything else. And I find as long as I keep my house, you know, between 60 and 80 degrees or, you know, and keep humidity in a reasonable range, the AC Infinity controller is able to dial my grow in pretty well. Um, you know, for my larger grow, I'm using individual devices that aren't plugged into any kind of controller. They're all just kind of set at their own parameters. Like I have a standalone dehumidifier, a standalone air conditioner, um, and those are all using their own internal controllers. Um, but yeah, I think there's some value in some of those other controllers. Just be careful and, and just be aware of the failure points of them. You know, be aware of if something goes wrong, how is it going to behave? I think one of the, the big failure points with some of these controllers to keep in mind, I actually had the Trollmaster controller for a very short period of time. And the reason why I got rid of it is I plugged in my humidifier into there. And, uh, you know, you can plug in your humidifier, dehumidifier, heater, air conditioner, right? That That's the point of these environmental controllers is to plug your equipment in there and then they'll turn on and off as necessary to control your environment. Well, one of the downsides is it doesn't actually control the function on and off, right? So it's going to turn the unit on, but in order right. to actually start spitting out that humidification, right? The water vapor into the air, it's got to press another button, be turned on. So the troll master isn't able to do that. So if you are going to get one of these environmental controllers, make sure that's the equipment that you already spent money on, you know, your humidifier, dehumidifier, air conditioner, heater, make sure those things are going to automatically turn on once power is given to them. So just figure yeah, out that that's one. That's a great was, uh, point. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, it was a pretty big downside. I was really disappointed when I first got the Trollmaster and realized that it wasn't going to work with my equipment. So. My heater, air conditioner. Sometimes you need to increase the temperature. A lot of people use it with a heater. Or you need to decrease, right? Because it's too much heat. So people are adding in some sort of air conditioning. Can you talk to us about heater, air conditioner? Is there any specific brands or equipment that you um, recommend folks to get? Um, yeah, I'd say a lot of this depends too on the size of your grow. You know, if you're running a two by two tent, probably shouldn't be looking at air conditioners or, you know, big heaters or anything like that because it's not going to fit. Um, so in, in those cases, if you're running a smaller tent or smaller environment, I find it works best just to control the environment of the room the tent's in, right? So for me in the office tents here, I'm using my house AC. I don't have a dehumidifier in here, but I'm in Northern California, so my humidity stays pretty good most of the time. Um, in the bigger grow outside, I use, I have a frigid air dehumidifier that's worked really well for me for many years. Um, and I have a mini split. And that's one thing I was going to say as far as air conditioners go. Uh, efficiency is another really big thing with air conditioners. You can get the little portable ones, the little ones with the hoses that come out of them and stuff like that. And I've used those before and they work, but man, you lose so much efficiency. They lose, they use so much power just to do anything. 
Um, and it really adds up on your bill quickly. And, you know, a mini split is a really expensive option too. You know, getting a really nice mini split air conditioner can cost you several thousand dollars, but if you're serious about growing and you've got a bigger grow environment, or, you know, if you've got a couple of tents in one room or something, getting a big mini split will save you money in the long term because the efficiency is so much better than, you know, a lot of those smaller air conditioners, um, you know, if you have to, you can use a window air conditioner or, you know, use what you can, you know, and it depends so much on your grow, you know, how serious you're going to have to get about things like air conditioning and dehumidification. Um, but it's another one of those areas of your grow where I say it's worth investing a little bit more money to do it right. It's worth getting quality stuff. It's worth getting more efficient stuff because, man, running a really inefficient air conditioner will cost you a ton of money and you'll, you'll quickly regret it. <laughs> you know, it's really easy if, if you live somewhere really hot and you start running one of those little portable AC units, you know, all day, every day, be prepared for a big old power bill at the end of the month. Um, you know, so for me growing in the house here in the small tents, I've got a two by two and a two by four in this room. I'm able to keep this room at a pretty decent temperature, just kind of using my home climate control, using my home ventilation system. Um, works pretty well. So um, there can be other problems with, you know, using bigger um, grows, you know, at that point, you're going to want to start looking into something a little bit more expensive. But yeah, it just depends so much on your setup. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of uh, frigid air for a lot of equipment. Um, I also like Fujitsu. If you're going for a mini split, Fujitsu makes excellent mini splits, but they are expensive. I think I spent something like $3,000 for my 18K mini split unit. But the good thing about that, though, is it was, A, the most efficient unit on the market at the time. And it also, um, you know, has a 10-year warranty that goes with it. So it hurt a little bit to pull up my wallet and smack down that three grand to buy it. But now I know I'm set for the next 10 years. You know, I've got a good air conditioner that's going to last me a long time and my monthly bills aren't going to be huge because I'm using a really high efficiency unit. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just depends so much on your setup. You know, as soon as you start getting into bigger grows, bigger tents, you know, running a lot of lights, you're probably looking at a mini split. <laughs> um, if you're running smaller tents, I would say try to do what you can with just your home air conditioning system. You know, see what you can do with just trying to keep your house or keep the room your tents in at a decent temperature. And then use something like the AC Infinity controller or another environmental controller to really work out the details, you know, to fine tune everything. But I find with grow tents, if you can get to the to the ballpark, you know, environment wise, you can use a controller to kind of get you the last little mile. Yeah, I'm able to get away with using the central air conditioning in my house as well. And actually, the past couple of years, I've been successful not growing during the summer months, July and August yeah. in particular. I plan my grow, you know, plan it so I can have enough harvest to last me so I don't have to grow in those couple months can drastically bring down the energy bill. I did use a portable air conditioner at one point. And like you had mentioned, like once you get that electricity bill, it just, it skyrockets. It's crazy yep. the amount of energy those things consume. It's a lot more friendlier on your wallet if you're using the air conditioning in your home. At least that's been it from my experience. But when it comes to heating, I have actually been pretty successful using a tower heater. Like you mentioned, controlling the temperature and humidity in your lung room or the room that your grow tent is in is definitely beneficial. And that's typically what I do. 
So I'll have my tower heater there, but sometimes I also have a tower heater. I have a couple of them. Sometimes I'll actually have one in the grow tent as well because when the lights turn off wintertime, temperature does drop quite a bit and it's, it can certainly drop to the high fifties, you know, low sixties where I live. So, uh, so having a tower heater just kick on for a short period of time in order to reach that set point that's on the actual heater has definitely been beneficial. And those tower heaters, they're not that expensive, you know, 50 bucks, 75 bucks. It does consume a lot of Watts, but they're not on for a, you know, extended period of time. So you're not going to see a massive change in your electricity bill unless you're running it all day long. Right. Yeah. Well, and with heaters too, I really like, uh, I use in the past, I've used, uh, those like radiator style heaters where it actually looks like a little radiator and it's full of oil. And the benefit of that is, is when it's on, it heats up that oil and kind of circulates it around inside the radiator, but it even keeps working once the power is turned off, right? Cause that oil stays warm, that radiator stays warm and it keeps kind of heating the space even when there's not power flowing into the unit. So uh, I really like those for heating grows because they're a lot safer than a lot of the other styles of grow or of, of heater, I should say. And um, having that efficiency factor of they kind of keep working a little bit, even when the power's been cut, they'll kind of keep heating the room a little bit longer because they, they hold heat in that radiator. That's a good call out. Humidifier, dehumidifier. I mean, you kind of talked about that a little bit. I'm not sure if you have anything else to add about those two things. Um, I've used, as far as humidifiers, I really like the one that build a soil recommends. I forget what it's called. It's like the active air or something like that, but I really like, it's a little tank that you can fill up manually, uh, which I find really helpful where you don't have to like take the whole tank apart and take it to the sink and fill it up. It's a thing where you can just take a pitcher of water and dump it in the top and away you go. Uh, that's been really helpful to me. As far as dehumidifiers, dehumidifiers is definitely a place if you're going to buy one, look for something efficient because dehumidifiers can use a ton of power. And if you've got a big fancy grow, I mean, look at something like the Quest. Uh, Quest dehumidification makes some really efficient, really powerful dehumidifiers. They cost a lot, but you'll save money in the long term. If you think about it, you're buying something that's going to last you, you know, maybe a decade that's a lot of electrical bills, you know, so spending a little bit more to have something so your bills a little lower every month will pay off in the long term. So trying to get something efficient. Uh, I have a smaller um, frigid air dehumidifier that I'm using right now, and I really like it a lot. It's been really efficient um, despite being kind of a home unit. Uh, but just keep in mind with dehumidifiers also, I think most dehumidifiers on the market are made to be put in someone's basement and used, you know, a month or two a year. They're not designed to be used 24 seven, you know, 365 days a year, like we would in a grow. So some of those home built dehumidifiers aren't, don't always have the kind of reliability or the kind of efficiency that you'd want for a grow dehumidifier. Um, so just be aware of that. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of like grow centered or like designed for your grow dehumidifiers out there that are small. Most of them are really big and really expensive. Um, but either way, just make sure you're looking at that efficiency number and make sure you're aware of how much power it's going to use because they do tend to be power hungry. I live in a very dry climate, so I've never had to use a dehumidifier here. But fortunate enough not to have to have add that to my electricity bill. But I do have to add in a humidifier, and I've tried out so many humidifiers in the past uh, what, eight years since I've been here, nine years. And um, one of the ones that I really like is called LaVolt. It's a smart humidifier. Same thing that you had mentioned where it's top fill. 
So you don't have to remove the whole container, flip it over. You can actually just remove the top and fill from the top. But it's also connected to your smartphone and app to where you can notify you when it needs to be cleaned and also Excellent. when the tank is empty and you need to refill Excellent. it. I really like that one. That's That's been the best one. Yeah, if you are getting a humidifier, one thing to mention is you, want, you definitely want to get one of those ones where you can have a set point on it, you know, a certain per- percent that you're aiming for. Because some humidifiers, you just have the on button and it will just go on and on and on and on and on. But if you have one of them with the uh, with the a humidistat, humidistat, there you go. Then you're able to actually have a set point, a certain percent that you can aim for. Once it reaches that percent, the unit will turn off. The one that I mentioned, Lavolta, does have that capability. So, so we got through a lot in this episode, man. There are so many more things that we could have gone through, but uh, I think we might have to save it for potentially a part two if, uh, if the audience demands it and wants you to come back on. I mean, we could talk about so many other things. I wanted to get into auto watering system, but we didn't even get into that. pH meters, TDS testers, harvest equipment, IPM tools. There's a lot more stuff that we could have gone over, but we just didn't have time this time around. But hey, maybe a part two. If you yeah. are tuning in on YouTube, let us know in the comment section if you like a part two. Also, let us know what questions you have in regards to the equipment. And I'll go through and answer some of these as I can. I'm not sure if you have the time, if you'd be willing to come on and answer some yeah. questions in the comment section as well. But I'm sure people would love to have your feedback in there as well. Yeah, I love talking about Grow. Happy to do it. Cool. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Yeah, so you can find me. I'm Soup the Gardener on uh, the Instagrams and all the other places you might be looking for me. Um, I don't do a whole lot on YouTube yet, but I do have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can also find me. I'm a very active part of the Dude Grows community. community. Um, I work on the show back, the, uh, back behind the scenes. I help answer grow questions for the show. And I also host our patron exclusive podcast every week. We call the 420 Happy Hour. So it's really fun. We hang out live with our audience and get to chat about growing, answer grow questions, talk about different grow topics. Um, so yeah, you can always find me over in the Dude Grows crew or hit me up on Instagram or anywhere else. Uh, I also have my own website. I'm growerslove.com. Uh, which is kind of a landing page for new growers with all kinds of information there. If you want to start a grow, want to expand your grow, want to learn more, um, go check it out. Oh man, as far as what's coming up, uh, probably the latest thing I've been working on is I've gotten more into breeding plants. So I've started breeding my own plants and uh, released some seeds publicly for the first time recently and really excited to get further into plant breeding because that's something I'm really passionate about. So learning about different strains and uh you know, combining flavors and all that sort of stuff is really my thing. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun learning about it and it's been great hanging out and talking with you. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely have a link to either your YouTube or your Instagram, something for you down in the video description section below. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already every single weekend, I release a new garden talk podcast episode and I'd love for you to tune into future episodes. Soup. Thanks so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Hope you can come back for part two and, uh, yeah. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And yeah, I would love to come back sometime, anytime. I love talking gardening, so invite me anytime. (laughs) Sweet. All right, peace out, everyone. Catch you in the next episode.